Welcome to the podcast from Church of the Nazarene. Please subscribe to this podcast for the latest updates and new episodes. And you can also search for the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and Google Podcasts. We also invite you to join us each Sunday morning at 9 on our YouTube channel. You can also join us in person at 9 or 1030 for our English services or 1145 for our Spanish service. We also invite you to join Celebrate Recovery every Monday night at 630. Thanks for listening. Hey, if you're joining us uh, for the first time or you don't know who I am, my name is Billy and I have the privilege of serving as the pastor of discipleship here at Church of the Nazarene and the privilege of bringing the word on Sunday mornings from time to time. And so um, here we are. Uh, We began a new series last week titled The Tough Sayings of Jesus. And it's a fitting series because we're in the season of Lent um, in the Christian faith as we journey um, the 40 days uh, leading up to Easter, right? And the Good Friday and and all that we celebrate on that weekend. Um, And so Tough Sayings of Jesus seems like a a fitting series to dive into Um, The purpose of this series, we began it last week, Uh, this is the second week of the series, we began last week, but the purpose is, is to not take some difficult sayings of Jesus and somehow turn them into not difficult sayings, right? The sayings that we're looking at were difficult uh, before the sermon series was constructed, and they're going to be difficult afterwards because they've been that way for 2,000 plus years. And so the purpose of the series is for us, as people who are seeking after God, uh, to more deeply understand his purpose in saying these things and how we're to think and apply them obediently to behave accordingly because of what he said. And we began last week and our focus was on love your enemies. That was the declaration. Love your enemies. Our culture says curse your enemies, right? Do whatever you can to get the upper hand. But in the way of Jesus, Jesus says love your enemies. But I want to tell you a story of what's been going on last week for me, um, and I'm going to go back a few more weeks. Um, so anyway, uh, my wife wanted to upgrade her phone, uh, right, smartphone. She wanted to upgrade her phone, and so uh, we called uh, this said phone company, Verizon. Um, and uh, I'm not going to say any names, but Verizon. And, um, and so we call, and we say, we want to upgrade. Okay, they got it, right? Oh, here's the deal. Trade your phone in, da 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 All right, we're good. Let's do that. So they say, we'll send you the phone. And so we order the phone, and we get it. And then after we get it, we're like, oh, wait, we could have, for just a couple more dollars, like a month, you know, the whole thing. We're like, we could get more storage. And you have this 30-day window to trade, like, to exchange it, right? And you can um, restocking fee, all that stuff. But so I call um, on a Monday, and, uh, and I'm like, hey, we just want to exchange this. We want to get the, you know, the, one, the next one up with a little more storage. Uh, and the lady's like, great, you know, we'll, we'll send you this one. It'll be here by tomorrow night. You just put the other one in the box and send it back to us, and we'll take care of it. And I'm like, sweet, all right. Well, two days go by, and I hear nothing. There's nothing there, so I call them. And I tell the lady, I said, hey, two days ago I talked to the, did this, and uh, the customer care rep was like, oh, I, there's no record here of any notes of your call or any order or anything like that. And I'm like, oh, okay, well, can we do this? Like, I'm not sure what's going on, and, um, you know, my wife would like uh, to use her phone. The other one um, was messed up, and, and she's like, yeah, let's try to get it through. And anyway, there's some error because the other one's not activated. And, and they start telling me all of these things. And finally, they say, all right, we got it finally. And, um, and so it ends up, there's an email sent. Well, there's an error ticket that came up, and we're dealing with it within the next 24 hours. And so this was on a Thursday. Well, Monday comes around, and that's a lot more than 24 hours, and nothing's happened. And so I call back again, and I am, I am, 
I'm not happy at this moment, okay? And so I'm wanting these service reps, these customer care reps, right, to understand the seriousness that I felt about the issue at hand, that they were not hearing me, they were not taking care of it, they weren't understanding the problem, and they weren't getting it right. And so I'm serious. And I, and I talked to one to the point where, um, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm really, like, uh, really like just letting them know how serious this is, what I feel about it, and they're getting uncomfortable. So they start repeating their scripts, right? It's just like they have a script in front of them. They're repeating this script to me over and over. I'm like, no, you're not listening to me. This is what I'm saying. And eventually they get so uncomfortable that they drop the call, right? We've accidentally lost connection, and we'll get back to you soon, and you never get back to anyone. So then you call back and you don't even get the same customer care rep and you got to go through the whole thing again. And so I went through two or three in one night and so I'm livid at this point. They're not understanding me. They're repeating these scripts and eventually they're just losing the connection. They're dropping the call. And so our focus today, hold on to that thought. Our tough saying of Jesus communicates something that God takes very seriously and the hard truth is we sometimes struggle to take it as serious as we should because it makes us uncomfortable. What is it? It's sin. It's sin. In fact, God, Jesus, who is God in the flesh, takes sin a lot more serious than we often want to take it in our own lives. Too often when we hear a tough saying of Jesus, especially on this topic, or we find one in his word, we respond like the customer care reps that I dealt with this past week, if we're honest. Right? We rationalize with ourselves and with God, and we repeat the same scripts over and over and over that, that help make ourselves more comfortable when uh, we repeat them both to ourselves and to God. And, and God continues, he continues to press the issue and the seriousness of his word. And, and when we get real uncomfortable, we just drop the call. We close the book. Uh, we, we cut off the connection for a time. And direct our focus elsewhere. How do we do that? Uh, Distraction. If you own one of these, this is exhibit A for distraction, right? I I don't have to convince you of that. Distraction. We busy ourselves, right? Busyness. Busyness. I don't think busyness is of the devil. I think busyness might be the devil. Materialism. Sensualism, we surround ourselves with things, substances, we idolize other human relationships, or whatever your numbing agent of choice is. Oftentimes when God makes us uncomfortable, we lose connection. However, it's important that the church teach the whole truth, the whole counsel of God's word, the ideas that are pleasant and comforting, encouraging, and those that are terrifying and make us very uncomfortable. There's a reason we find these tough sayings of Jesus in our Bibles. Uh, he, he wants us to understand them and allow them to impact our lives, to change us, to transform us as we walk in obedience. And so today, we're looking at Christ's difficult declaration to cut off your hand. Cut off your hand. And some of you know where we're going before we get to the text. There's no one needs to be reminded that those words of Jesus are not only tough, but they're gruesome. Very hard to hear. But I want you to remember that this morning that the subject is sin. And sin is gruesome and deadly. And we make a mistake when we try to tame the idea of sin. When we we as Christians try to make it somehow more palatable to us, easier to swallow. And that's one reason that Jesus makes such startling statements in his word. You see, the gruesome nature of sin as described in the text that we're going to dive into today 
Should one cause us to hate sin and strive to stay far from it? Should lead us to repentance and a commitment to keep short accounts with God? And then finally, should help us understand just what Jesus accomplished on the cross, bearing all sin once and for all. And I do want to make an important note this morning uh, about the context of this text that we're going to be diving into. Jesus isn't preaching, and we're going to be in Matthew 5 to begin. Jesus isn't preaching this text in Rome, in some pagan marketplace of ideals, to a bunch of people who are not even interested in him anyways. Okay? He's preaching this in Galilee, in Israel. He's not preaching a message of salvation. This message isn't about, this is how you are saved. He's saying, if you've been saved, if, if you are wanting to live into this new kingdom reality, this must become a reality in your life. And so this message is to people who know Yahweh. They know the one true God, or at least they claim to know him. And at least, at the very least, there are people who are interested in the kingdom that this preacher is talking about and what it means to belong to this kingdom, what it means to be a follower, a disciple in this kingdom. And so here we are. We're going to be in Matthew 5. Matthew 5, beginning in verse 27. And Jesus is preaching what's known as the Sermon on the Mount, right? The magnum opus of his, of his teaching, of what it looks like to belong to the new kingdom of God. If you're his follower, if you're in Christ, if you want to belong to this kingdom, he's preaching what your life will look like, the standards by which you live. And we find ourselves here in Matthew 5 and verse 27, and he's going topic by topic. And here we pick up on the topic of adultery. This is the seventh commandment in the Ten Commandments. If you grew up with those, thou shalt not commit adultery. And this is what it says in verse 27. You have heard that it was said. So Jesus is saying, listen, you've heard it said this way, you shall not commit adultery, but I tell you. And so there's some people out there uh, that believe that Jesus kind of disregarded the Old Testament, right? He just did away with it, and it's this new covenant. of, And he did establish a new covenant, and, and praise God. But Jesus didn't get rid of the Old Testament. He took it to uh, the next level. He actually gave it its greatest fulfillment. Because listen to what he says. You've heard it said you shall not commit adultery, but I tell you that anyone who even looks at a woman lustfully, and this can go both ways, has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So Jesus says, your interpretation of the word, your interpretation of God's standard is don't commit the act and you're good. God says, that's not, that's not where it starts. He's saying, I'm calling my followers to deal with sin where it starts, the mind and the emotions of the heart. And so Jesus, here specifically addressing adultery, illustrates the seriousness of lust right? And lust is not a, noticing an attractive person. Lust is that second look, that longing stare, that fulfilling of unholy desires uh, of letting the mind uh, go where it should not go. But he illustrates the seriousness of its destructive power through two graphic examples. Look at verse 29. He says, if your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Gouge it out. Cut it off. Because unchecked, Jesus says lust, specifically here, can lead to literal adultery. 
So Jesus counsels drastic action to remove sources of temptation and sin in our lives. Jesus uses this illustration to emphasize the way that sin stands between people and God. He also demonstrates the desperate need for a person through the power of God to rid their life of sin. John Stott, pastor and author, uh, commentates this. He says, what Jesus was advocating was not a literal physical self-maiming, but a ruthless moral self-denial. Not mutilation, but mortification is the path of holiness that he taught. And mortification or taking up the cross to follow Christ means to reject sinful practices so resolutely that we die to them or put them to death. And yes, in Matthew 5, what we're reading, uh, the specific sin of adultery, of lust, is addressed. However, a serious response to sin is not limited to adultery alone. A little further in Matthew, in the same gospel, in Matthew 18, Jesus is going to one-up it. He's going to take it beyond just lust. Okay, Matthew 18, beginning in verse 7, he says, Woe to the world because of the things that cause people to stumble. He says, Woe to this world because there's going to be things that cause people to stumble, to sin. Such things must come, but woe to the person through whom they come. He says, Woe to the person through whom a stumbling block comes. So he's not even saying, watch out that you are not stumbled. He's saying, watch out that you don't cause others to stumble. And here he goes again in verse 8. If your hand or your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. These are hard words from Jesus. It's better for you to enter life maimed or crippled than to have two hands or two feet and be thrown into eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It's better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into the fire of hell. His reference to mutilation is an illustration of decisive action against sin. Listen, these texts are obviously not about amputation. I just want you to cut off your little hand or foot. They're about a dedication to holiness and understanding that sin is so deceptive and so dark. Jesus sets up a shocking recommendation, one that makes us uncomfortable, right? It's tough. He sets up a shocking recommendation regarding links one should go to avoid sin and its destructive power in our lives. Notice, and he said it in both texts, notice the words eternal fire in verse 8 in Matthew 18 eternal fire. Now listen, for most of the history of the church, some have either asserted uh, one of two views to make themselves feel more comfortable about eternity. The first is this, that there is ultimate universal salvation for everyone. Hell's a myth, everyone goes to heaven. The second is this, that there is just ultimate annihilation of the lost. There may be something good for those who follow God, but in the end, if you don't, you're just going to be annihilated and that's the end of your story. But for the entire history of the church, the vast majority of Christians and the vast majority of the church's most eminent and reliable theologians have affirmed that what Jesus and the apostles taught about hell is eternal conscious punishment. And those three words describe an absolutely terrifying reality. Eternal conscious punishment. 
And so listen, family, the seriousness of sin requires radical action. That's what Jesus is saying here. To deal with the fruit, you must address the root. Would you cut off, would you cut off your hand or your foot? your arm or your leg or remove one of your eyes, would, would you do that to literally save your life? If your life was on the line and you had to cut your leg off, that's the only way to get free, or your arm or your hand, absolutely you would. So would I. You can Google stories. There's, there's, there's videos there's, you can, where people literally had to do this in drastic situations to save their lives. This is the point that Jesus is making when it comes to sin. Let me give you this example. If you go to a doctor, and some of you have experienced this, when a doctor finds something unhealthy on you or in you, a growth or something that's not supposed to be there, what do you expect them to do? Or better yet, what would you desire that they do with that? Cut it off. Get it out of me. Why? So that it might not lead to or be a source of greater sickness or disease or even death in your life, right? Remove it, doctor. I don't want that on me. It's not supposed to be there. Get it out of me. And listen, we hate cancer. We all hate cancer. And the thought of it, because it's often dire effects on human beings... But listen to me this morning. Sin, sin is far more deadly than the most aggressive cancer that's ever known. Sin is far more deadly. Sin kills and destroys everything it touches. From the fall of the Adam in the Garden of Eden in the beginning of the book until now, sin takes no prisoners. Jesus Jesus made it clear. This is the purpose behind everything that Satan does. Jesus said in John 10.10, the thief comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy. And I got a a quote here. My wife sent me this in the last couple weeks. It says this. It says, the devil doesn't care if you read your Bible or go to church. As long as you don't apply it to your life. That's the reality, friends. He doesn't care if you come to church. He doesn't care if you open God's word as you don't, as long as you don't apply it to your life, it doesn't matter. Listen, the ruler of this world, the enemy of your soul, he seeks to make light of sin, right? Seeks to make it a laughing matter. Laugh it off. It's not that big a deal. But Kent Hughes, author Kent Hughes, he's quoting Malcolm Muggeridge, the famous British pundit and commentator who wrote this in Christ and the Media. He says that one of the ways we become softened morally is when we're induced to laugh at things that appall us. He says today there's a whole generation of Christian men, and I had women, Christian men and women who are laughing at things that ought to make them weep. And not a few of them will suffer shipwreck and some of them the loss of their souls. Sin is gruesome and deadly. It's not laughable and it's not lighthearted. 
When we regard sin as God does, we find nothing amusing or humorous about it. We'll not make it the subjects of the jokes we tell or those we hear. We'll not allow ourselves to be tempted to get a little closer to the line just to see if we're still safe. Listen, according to God's word, he hates sin with a holy and righteous passion. And so should we. And when we find ourselves amused by it, it's time for us to repent and refocus on the cross. Because seeing the price paid for our sin on the cross reminds us that it's no laughing matter. Oh, praise God, his grace is free, but it sure wasn't cheap. So let me talk a moment about the things that we let enter into our minds and hearts through, our, our, through the viewing of our eyes. Listen, we have a responsibility as Christians, as people walking in the way of Jesus. In the church of the Nazarene, we declared these two things in our manual. That we have a, a responsibility to recognize that there is a Christian obligation to apply the highest moral standards of Christian living. We also say this in the church of the Nazarene. We have an obligation to witness against whatever trivializes or blasphemes God as well as such social evils as violence, sensuality, pornography, profanity, and the occult, as portrayed by and through the commercial entertainment industry in its many forms. We have an obligation with our media and entertainment consumption, whether that be through the TV, whether that be through social media, TikTok, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, Snapchat, whether that be through the movies that we watch or the TV shows, the series, the books, the literature, the websites we visit, the music we're listening to. I mean, the reality is this. I went to Walmart last night, and I've been diving into this this week. And I went to Walmart last night to pick something up, and I'm pretty conscious of the music that's playing usually, wherever I'm at. And I heard the song, right? And, and didn't pay much attention to it, but I heard what it was. And I know it, it's an old song. And I woke up, and this was the song. And I have this message to preach this morning. And I know the set, the worship set. And you know what song was playing in my mind? And I heard it passively buying something at Walmart. The lyrics go, I'll keep you my dirty little secret. Don't tell anyone or you'll be just another regret. It's an all-American reject song from back, back years ago. But I had this to preach, and somehow the lyrics I woke up with on my mind, that garbage. If you don't think that the things that you consume have an effect on you. Listen, and often we consume them through this newest appendage called a smartphone, right? And so I, didn't know if, I don't know if you knew this today, but you have five appendages, right? If you have two legs and two arms, right, you have, a, you have a fifth appendage. It's called your smartphone, right? Some of you, some of you, seriously, let's be honest. Some of you would actually give up your real hand before you would get rid of your smartphone today. You would have less trouble losing your left hand than to lose your phone and never find it again. Some of you know that's true. But some of you might actually need to cut off this appendage. Listen, being transparent, I have no social media. I'm 32, right? I'm a millennial. I'm good with technology. It's not being arrogant. I'm just telling you the facts. 
And I've had no social media since 2017 because of the message that I'm preaching to you today. Because I almost wrecked my own life because I didn't take sin as serious as Jesus calls us to in this text. To cut it off. Listen, friends, whether a book or a song or a movie or a TV show or, or a play or, or, or whatever it is, whatever it is that's showing sin is acceptable or normal or without consequences, that piece of art is showing that thing as good and normal. This is something that we should avoid as God's children, approving, because listen, approving that which God calls evil by watching or reading or listening to things that depict sinful behavior as normal, we're led to desire or approve, even passively, permissively, what God calls evil. In Galatians 5, it says, the flesh desires what's contrary to the spirit, and the spirit's what's contrary to the flesh. They're in conflict with each other, so that you're not to do whatever you want. It says, the acts of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, Hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissension, affaction, enviness, drunkenness, orgy, and the like. I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom and God. And so what I'm saying today is if we're, if we're to stay away from those things, if we're not to take part of them when we belong to Christ, then we should avoid watching things, consuming things, listening to things, reading things that glorify those things and present them as normal and acceptable to do so. This is tough. What Jesus is saying is tough. And maybe you got a script, right? Maybe you got a script that you repeat to yourself. Well, I'm not really entertained by the sins. I'm not entertained by the sins of the story. I just like other aspects of it, other truth in the story and the way that they really presented it. Recognize that. Because if you would say that to me, I would have to say, man, I'm so glad for you. You have a capacity for purity and holiness that I could only long for in my life. If you can watch that passively, sins being reenacted or or read about them and treat them, and then they're being treated as, as okay and glorified even. And you're not defiled or influenced by them in any way. That's remarkable. And some of y'all are thinking, man, I'm not going to let Pastor Billy know what I like to watch. And listen, that's okay with me. Because if, if you ever get this gut check, man, I don't want my pastor, I don't want my small group leader, I don't want my life group leader to know what I watch. That's probably a sign that God's saying, cut it off. The bottom line is this. The moment you think sin is acceptable, cut that thought off. Listen, Jesus is preaching to those who wanted to follow him. He wasn't preaching to the sinful pagan world. And that thought, though, that thought comes often like this. It comes across as we begin, like the customer care reps, right? To begin to repeat the scripts, the rationalizations that we make to ourselves, to God, to make it more palatable, to make it easier to swallow, the rationalizations we give to ourselves to try to justify our actions. It may sound something like this. Well, they can't be serious. I mean, I love Jesus, but living like that's so out of touch with the times. 
That sounds so old-fashioned. Well, I think I'll be okay. I mean, only radical people really live like that. It's just a little white lie. I mean, it's pretty tame compared to most things out there. I mean, we've already crossed the line in our relationship, so there's really no going back now. Us, uh, we've been married before, so boundaries aren't the same in our situation. Well, of course, I don't agree with some of the things in the show, but it has all the feels. It's got all the vibes, you know? It's got all those vibes. Man, everybody's watching it. I mean, it's just the right decision financially speaking because paying two rents is ridiculous right now. Well, it's just my guilty little pleasure, I guess. What? What? Be very careful when you stand to argue your right to do or to have something that that something does not actually have you in your heart. Because what has captured the wonder of our hearts will control the way we live, the way we think, the way we process. It will control our worldview. And anything that's captured our hearts before the Lord Jesus Christ is an idol. Listen, the reality is you are going to become what you enjoy. And if it breaks the heart of holy God, why would you think that it can fulfill yours? You're playing with fire and you will get burned. You will get burned. Listen, church family, God calls us to a far more radical transformation than any sort of bodily mutilation can address. If we could see the end result rather than the tempting part, it'd be far easier to resist and to reject those things that would entertain sin. But you see, Jesus can see it, and he exhorts us accordingly to cut it off. Gouge it out. Remove it. Remove it from your life now, whatever it cost. Whatever it cost. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. Because it's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Friends, this is the words of Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. Strong and sharp language from the lips of love incarnate himself. Love in the flesh. What will you do with them? today and listen if these words are landing lightly on you today it's almost an, a sure indicator you've, you've lost the sense of God's holiness in your life writer John Bloom said the loss of the sense of God's holiness always produces the loss of the sense of sin's sinfulness when God is not feared sin is not feared extreme danger calls for extreme measures yes the mutilation imagery is a metaphor but it's not hyperbole We know it's a metaphor because the literal loss of a hand or eye doesn't get to the root issue of sin. But radical and painful amputation of stumbling blocks out of our lives may be the only way to escape falling headlong into sin's deceptive trap. As Mandy comes, we're going to move to close and respond. Peter, one of Jesus's Uh, right-hand men, one of his closest disciples, wrote this in 1 Peter 4 towards the end of his life. He had seen some things. He had experienced some things. He, He knew some things. And this is what he says. He says, therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves with the same attitude. 
Since your Lord and Savior, since your King suffered, arm yourself with the same attitude. Because why? Because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. As a result, they don't live the rest of their earthly lives for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. Listen, true participation in the Christian faith, true discipleship always, always carries a price. I'm not calling you to walk in the way of Jesus because it's easy. It's not easy. It's not easy in this materialistic, secularistic, pornographic culture that we live in. It's not easy. We may need to mutilate. We may need to cut off a habit. A Wi-Fi habit, a substance habit, an alcohol habit. We may need to cut off a relationship. Whether that's romantic or just a friendship that's influenced you in ways that are not pleasing to God. We may need to cut off a career. We may need to cut off our TV. Listen, it's better to go without a TV than to have sin dominate your life. We may need to cut off our computer. If surfing pornographic websites or the like is a temptation and snare to you, cut it off. Get rid of your internet or computer. Or at least get an accountability program installed this afternoon. Some of us may need to cut off this new appendage that we like so much. You say, man, that's drastic, Pastor Billy, is it? Because Jesus is the one that said to cut off your hand. Pastor Jared, he's bringing this word at East Rock and his word on this topic regarding our smartphones. He said this to me. He said, if your smartphone causes you to stumble, smash it. Get a dumb phone. It's better to navigate life with paper maps than to have an iPhone direct you to hell. We may need to cut off some of our personal freedoms. Because listen, friends, it's far better we enter life having lost those things than keep them and lose our souls. And this is tough. This is tough because we're proud and we fear losing something that we have far more often than we fear a holy God, the king of the universe. Listen, it's not easy to deny yourself, but it's always worth it. And hear me out this morning. Don't be confused here between legalism and godly discipline, okay? I want to make this clear. Between legalism and godly honoring discipline, the difference is one of motivation. Legalism is self-centered. Legalism says, look at my outward righteousness I've attained by my behaviors. What Jesus is calling us to is godly discipline. Discipline is God-centered. It's the essence of what Paul writes in Romans 12 when he says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy... He's saying to do this in view of the great mercy of God that's been poured out in your life. In view of his mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and your proper worship. If you desire to be a true disciple of Jesus, he's calling you. He's calling his church to a life of holiness unto the Lord holiness unto the Lord. If you, if you look on our back wall, it's here in our, in our auditorium at Harrisonburg. You may have never even read the sign. It's huge. 
holiness unto the Lord on the back wall as you leave. And listen, that declaration, that way of thinking, that way of living is not a church of the Nazarene thing. Oh, we care about holiness. We're passionate about it. But that's a God thing. That's found in his word. That's his expectation for his people. Pastor John Stott continues, Jesus was quite clear about it. It's better to lose one member and inner life maimed, he said, than to retain our whole body and go to hell. That is to say, it's better to forego some experiences in this life in order to enter the life which is life indeed. It's better to accept some cultural amputation than risk final destruction in the next. Of course, this teaching runs clean counter to modern standards of permissiveness. It's based on the principle that eternity is far more important than time and purity than culture and that any sacrifice is worthwhile in this life if it's necessary to ensure our entry into the next. So we have to decide quite simply whether to live for this world or the next, whether to follow the crowd and the culture or Jesus Christ. Would you stand with me this morning? as we prepare hearts to respond to the word of God. Listen, this is tough. That's the point. It's not going to be any easier when you walk out of those doors unless you drop the call, unless you lose the connection. Listen, Jesus had just finished teaching in John chapter 6. He had finished this tough teaching. Many disciples, many people were gathered around to hear him, and and he finishes with some hard words. And in verse 66, it says this, From this time on, many of his disciples turned back, and they no longer followed him. In verse 67, Jesus turns to his 12 disciples, and he says, You do not want to leave too, do you? This is the question of Jesus. After many had turned to walk their own way, they had turned and said, this is too hard. I don't have time for this. I got to get back to my life. I'm going to be all right. I, no, I can't deal with this. I can't swallow that. They had heard gut-wrenching teaching from Jesus, and, and they said, no, not today. And Jesus turns, and he asks us the same question. You don't want to leave too, do you? And you know what? We each have to answer that question, but you can only answer it for yourself. Maybe perhaps some of you are listening to this today and if you were honest, you'd say, Pastor, I don't even have a relationship with Jesus. This is heavy stuff. The invitation to you today is to repent of your sin. Confess your need for a Savior and for Him to come and make your life new. Place your faith in what He's already done on your behalf and ask Him to bring the freedom from sin that only He can bring. Listen, we don't like discussions on sin and hell, but Jesus spoke of hell and warned us against the reality of it often. But more than that, by his resurrection, by his death, he won the victory over hell, giving us power to overcome by his blood. The eternal fire we read about is real. It's not a happy thought. It's not one we like to linger on, but it's truth. And we can't shy away from that reality. But listen to this, friends. At the same time, we should glory in the grace that provides us a way, an opportunity to be free from damnation because of what Jesus suffered on our behalf. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. 
For the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. And in Romans 8, 12, Paul, a little further down, he says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation. It's to Jesus. But it's not to the flesh to live according to it. So with all heads bowed, all eyes closed, I would do you a disservice if I didn't give you an opportunity to respond to the word of God today, to not leave this place and drop the call. And so I'm going to pray this prayer in a minute, but it's going to go like this. I invite you today to confess and repent. Lord, I'm confessing to you today that I agree with you. There's an area of my life that's wrong, and I'm sorry, Lord. There's a relationship. There's a habit. There's something I'm consuming. I want to repent. I want to stop doing that. I want to cut it off and out of my life. So I can live in right and holy relationship with you, Jesus. I surrender all to you. Because we sang it, right? You can have my heart. And listen, we need Jesus to do the deep heart cleansing, to forgive and cleanse us, uh, our hands and purify our hearts. We need his spirit to enable and empower us to live holy lives. But as we pray, we must take action. So today is the day to choose to obey God whatever it costs. Listen, church family, this is, this is where revival begins. We've heard a lot about it in these last days as we've been watching the news and, and the media. We, we've heard about this, this outpouring. This is where it begins when we repent of known sin, where we throw off, we remove all doubtful and questionable habits from our lives. We confess and we commit ourselves wholly to the Lord's will and work in our lives. And listen, sometimes our outward action must move to reorient the posture of our hearts. And when we posture our hearts in humility before God, righteousness is the fruit. And so as the song plays, we're going to sing a verse and a chorus. And as Mandy plays and sings, I'm going to offer you a time to respond. If you want to pray this today, if you want to repent, if you want to pray this, Lord, I'm confessing to you today, I agree with you. I'm going to invite you as the song plays to come and gather around the altars. You can kneel. You can stand. We have altars. It's just a symbol, a place where we meet God. And so I'm going to ask you to come and stand. All heads bowed, eyes closed right now. And, and this is, this is uh, uh, between you and God. But this is where revival begins, church. This day I call heaven and earth as a witness against you that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life. Choose life so that you and your children may live. Thank you so much for listening today. Go ahead and subscribe to our channel for updates and new episodes. And if you have any questions about our church or ministries, go ahead and email us at info at cotnaz.org.